Welcome to Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Discovery is all things cowboy essence, people at their best, accomplishing extraordinary achievements. Cowboy essence is defined by the character qualities we admire in others. Inspired by the cowboy culture, the code that guides Babbitt Ranches. Hi, I'm Billy Cordasco. Today on Discovery, we're talking about relationships, specifically the two pillars of strong relationships. These are relationship capability and relationship character. This is part two of a three-part series. In part one, we discuss the importance of significant relationships on our lives and commitment as the foundation of our healthy relationships. Now, in part two, we're talking about the building blocks. Think about the relationship as the house that we're building. There are two columns or two pillars of that house that support everything else. They're like the structural beams in the house in our relationship upon which everything else rests and it supports and holds up that the relationship structure itself. That from Dr. Ed Hoover. He's joining us on Discovery with Babbitt Ranches today. Ed is a psychologist, author, and family business and relationship management expert. In a moment, more from Ed on the key components of relationships. But first, Discovery with Babbitt Ranches acknowledges McCullough Insurance, a family-owned business marking its 100th anniversary in Flagstaff. Tim McCullough and the good folks over at McCullough Insurance have been serving Northern Arizona's insurance needs since 1919. They are also known as NFP Flagstaff. Whether it's your home, car, boat, business, or life, Shoot, Tim and everybody else over at NFP are committed to providing your insurance needs. They take your business personally and treat you like a buddy, not a policy. We love those guys. So stop in at their office at 420 North Humphreys, and I promise you, they will make you feel right at home. We're back now with family relationship expert, Ed Hoover. Ed, thank you for joining us on Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Okay, uh, remember in the first podcast we talked about how commitment is the foundation of every healthy relationship. I said I like to call it a covenant. It's the agreement that we have between ourselves as to how we're going to relate to each other. And that commitment, again, as we said, is made up of expectations. Those are the raw expectations are the raw materials of commitment. And we talked about how essential it is that we maintain over time clear, strong, mutually agreed upon expectations. We talked about how that's analogous to the ingredients that go into the concrete foundation of a house or a building. And when those ingredients are faulty or there's something wrong with them, then the foundation itself is weak. Commitment is the foundation of a healthy relationship and expectations are the raw materials of of that commitment. Then we need to move on and talk about how these expectations and uh, how the strong covenant builds and grows over time. So now let's move to building our house on top of that foundation. We know what we need to have the foundation. Let's talk about building the house. There, When we go forward to build our house, then the house we're building is the house of our relationship. Okay, That's the analogy I'm using here. Think about the relationship as the house that we're building. There are two columns or two pillars of that house that support everything else. They're like the structural beams in the house in our relationship upon which everything else rests and it supports and holds up that the relationship structure itself. One of these columns or one of these pillars 
is what I call relationship capability. And the other one is what I call relationship character. Relationship capability has to do, refers to all of those relationship tools that we have that we need in order to be able to make joint decisions and resolve differences and plan for the future together and communicate well and have fun doing it. When I talk about relationship capability and relationship character, let me use a couple of analogies that may help explain what I mean by that. It's often been said that an employee is made up of two things, aptitude and personality. Aptitude is that employee's skill and ability to do the job that we're considering hiring them to do, okay? It's their technical knowledge, it's ability to think abstractly or whatever it is. It's their employment capability. And their personality is something else. Their personality is how they go about conducting themselves. Are they pleasant to be with? Are they a hard worker? Are they strong? Are they confident? And so forth and so on. And it's often been said that it's easier to change a person's aptitude than it is their personality, which of course is true. Personality uh, is much more consistent over time. People can learn new skills. Well, when it comes to relationships, relationship capability and relationship character are like the aptitude and the personality for an individual person. And so let's talk now about relationship capability. Let's go on there. Well, as I said, relationship capability is the relationship management tools that we need in order to be able to successfully make decisions together, handle differences that we have, manage our conflicts, make plans for the future, communicate. And we have to have several tools in order to be able to do this. Just like a carpenter. A carpenter has a toolbox. That toolbox, let's say, represents that carpenter's capability. But that toolbox has to have a variety of tools in it. Uh, in order for that carpenter to be able to carry out the trade. Carpenter can't get by with just the saw or a hammer or a screwdriver or a level. All of these tools are needed in the carpenter's toolbox in order to be able to build whatever that carpenter is building. So we need a variety of tools, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but the good news is there aren't that many, and there are tools that we can learn and practice on a regular basis. truth of the matter is that for most of us, the relationship management tools that we have learned, they come from our early experiences in our lives with our families and in larger society. Most of the time, the tools that we learned in terms of how to get along with other people are inadequate or even bad ones. Maybe we've learned that yelling suffices for communication, or we've learned that stubbornness suffices for resolving differences, or that by ignoring things, we suffice that for decision-making. That's not a good thing. Most of us have, in terms of communication, have learned the tools of debate and speech. Those are only two of the tools that are needed. So what are the tools that we need? Well, the good news is, as I said, there's only three primary ones that we have to really know and utilize and form the basis. The bad news is that these tools have to be intentionally practiced and reinforced every day in our significant relationships. And each of them requires that we understand how to use them and that we make a commitment in the relationship to consistently using them, especially when it doesn't come naturally. And believe me, some of these tools don't really come naturally to us. We have to learn them. It's sort of like when we learn to ride a bicycle, the skills that we need to ride a bicycle 
they, they're ones that we have to learn. They don't just come naturally. But once we learn them, then we practice them and then they stay with us. Now, one of these tools is the ability to manage change. As we talked about in the last podcast, we need to be able to handle our expectations, keep them current and viable and strong over time. As we're going to talk about in the next podcast, we're going to talk about how change in life is inevitable. The only thing that doesn't change, I had a friend who once said, the only thing that doesn't change is dead. And change is our, in our relationships is not only inevitable, but it's constant. It's with us every day. There's things that are going on outside of our relationships and inside of our relationships that we can't control and that have a direct and significant impact upon our relationships. Why is change so important? Well, let me use an example. In an employer-employee relationship, at the beginning of that relationship when we hire somebody to work for us, uh, we go over our expectations with that person. And they go over their expectations with us. What is it that they expect and, and want from the working for us? And what do we expect and want from them as an employee? Now, that's all well and good. And we have a great relationship for a while. But changes begin to take place that may come from outside the relationship or may come from inside the relationship. But in, in any case, this, the employee that we hired after six months of working for us, is not, we don't have the same relationship with that employee anymore because of changes that have occurred in them and in us. And that happens because when changes take place in, in these significant relationships, they alter our expectations. Uh, in other words, we're not sure we can count on each other for what we thought we could. It re-raises the old kind of basic question, what's in it for me? How will my investment in our relationship have to change and, and what will I get in return for it? Change impacts and alters our expectations. I'm not sure I can count on you for what I thought I could count on you before. And I use the example of the employer and the employee, but it happens in marriage. They say that if you've been married for more than 10 years, you've probably remarried that same person several times because the person we married, the relationship we had when we first started our marriage or even before is not the same relationship we have now. Having children changes our relationship. Uh, losing family members changes our relationship. All kinds of things alter those expectations, and so we have to go back and renegotiate them. That's why change is so fundamentally important, and having ability to deal with change is so critical because changes, no matter where they come from, and again, I want to say, change is inevitable. We can't stop change. Change happens, it says on the bumper sticker. It results in deterioration of our relationship unless we choose to deal with it proactively in which it can become reinvigorating to our relationship. And it's our choice as to how we deal with that. For example, when we are a young couple, before we have children, we have certain expectations, certain ideas about uh, our time together, how much emotional support we give each other, how we're going to use our finances, and even our religious accommodations. They're all pretty much sorted out. We have that pretty much down, and we don't worry about that on a day-to-day -day basis. But then, all of a sudden, we have a baby. We have a child. And that new person in our family creates a significant and very critical change to how we're interacting. Our expectations about our time together get altered. 
expectations about how much we give emotional support to each other. After all, we've got another person in the family now that requires emotional support. How we use our finances changes because now we have to begin to plan for a th- another person in the family that's going to be dependent upon us for, for their well-being. Same thing happens in a family when a senior family member who has been sort of the hub of the family passes away and that our expectations of each other about what are we going to do to bring us together as family members. I remember my mother in our family, she was kind of the hub of the family, the matriarch. Every Christmas, we would all get together as a family. Grandma Hoover had a Christmas party, and it was very important for Grandma Hoover that all of the kids and the grandkids and the second grandkids, they all showed up. So we would all go there. And then my mother passed away. We sort of looked at each other and said, okay, who's going to bring us together now? How important is it that we get together now? We have our own separate nuclear families and we get together, but how important is it that we get together as an extended family? In other words, we had to go back and talk about our expectations of each other as a family now that Grandma Hoover was not there anymore. Losing her was a huge change in our family, as it is in many, many, many families who have a matriarch or patriarch. That's why change is important. Change because it alters our expectations and unless we deal with them on a very positive, proactive way. It's our commitment to each other is going to deteriorate. If we don't go back, for example, I'll use my family as an example. If we don't go back and renegotiate those expectations, what's going to happen to the commitment, the covenant that we had with each other that we're going to try to stay close as a family? Well, it's going to become weaker and weaker and weaker over time and eventually will completely go away. But just like it's important for that carpenter I talked about earlier to know how to use the tools in the toolbox, how to use a level, for example, to create level floors and straight walls in a house. It's also important for us to know how change works and how it takes place in our significant relationships. I didn't come up with this. There was a famous person, a sociologist back in the 50s, who studied change and change in relationships. And he said there's actually a three-part process that goes through every change. And if you imagine a straight line and at the beginning of the straight line is point number one, in the middle is point number two, and at the end is point number three. Well, uh, he said that point number one is what he called unfreezing. And this is the beginning of a change, and it basically uh, has to do with people being ready and willing and able to accept and embrace the change that is coming. The second point in the line is the actual change itself, the transition, which is which takes place. And the third point is what he called refreezing, which it means, okay, we've gone through this change now. We've had a child or we've had a family member pass away or whatever it is, whatever the change is. Now we're going to just, this is the way we're going to be for a while. We, we're not going to make any more changes. What's important about this is that most of the time change occurs in that middle part without people being prepared to em- embrace it. When change occurs that we didn't anticipate, there is never any unfreezing because we didn't anticipate it. We didn't expect it to happen. So all of a sudden, change is upon us, and we haven't been prepared to handle it, which means we have to go back and we have to talk about, all right, how is this change impacting us in our relationship? And if, unless we do that, the change will become very, very detrimental in our, in our relationship. And why is that? Because it goes back to our old friend, WIIFM, what's in it for me? If a change takes place, the first question that's going to pop into every person's mind is how is this change going to impact me? How's it going to impact me as an employer, as an employee, as a family member, as a husband, as a wife? 
as a child, whatever it is. If we can't answer that question successfully, in other words, if we, if we say, well, I'm going to lose a lot more than I'm going to gain from this, whatever this change is, then we're going to resist it and we're going to fight it. And it will never really take place successfully. But the change is going to keep rolling forward. So we need to know how to manage the inevitable change in our relationships. We need to know how, how change works. We need to know how it affects us and others. And we're going to talk about that. There is a, a methodology and a technology for managing change in a relationship that we're going to talk about in the third podcast. But I want to just point out here that this is one of the three essential tools of relationship capability, change management. Because if we can't manage change, our relationship is going to deteriorate because our commitment is going to become weaker and weaker and weaker over time. Now, another of the essential tools is the ability to communicate effectively. And I always like to ask people, what is the purpose of communication? And I'll get different answers. Some people will say, well, it's to transmit information. It's to make a point or whatever. And that's all true. That's all true. But the ultimate purpose of communication is to create understanding. If, if in our communications with another person we don't create understanding, we have missed the essential purpose of communication. As I said earlier, most of us are, are most highly skilled and comfortable in the tools of speech and debate, not in the tools that promote understanding. I also like to ask people, well, in communication, we have two basic aspects of that. One is called talking and one is called listening. And of those two, which is the more important or are they both equally important? Well, of course, most people will say, well, listening is most important. And that's correct. There's a reason God gave us two ears and one mouth. But talking is, is not the, the same thing as communicating. Most of the time, especially when we're communicating with someone we have conflict with, uh, we're not communicating with them for the purpose of creating understanding. We're communicating with them for the purpose of responding, or as I like to call it, reloading. We're filtering their communication to us through our own biases, our own filters, our own prejudices. And when we respond to them, we respond more out of those prejudices and biases than we do out of what they actually said to us. So we're not really understanding them. We're responding to them. And it happens all the time. It's the easiest trap to fall into. Now, how do we break out of that trap? Well, there's a very simple technique that goes into understanding how to use that tool. And it's called the skill of attentive listening or active listening. The purpose of which is to make sure that we understand clearly what the other person is saying before we respond. In other words, we put a pause button on our response until we're absolutely sure that we're understanding what the other person is saying. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because we ask the other person. We repeat back to the other person in our own words. Okay, so Billy, if I'm understanding correctly, the point you're making is ABC. And is that correct? Did I get that right? And you will say to me, yeah, Ed, you got that right. Or you'll say to me, no, that's not exactly what I meant. Then I will say, well, tell me again, because I guess I wasn't really fully listening. So you're going to tell me again. And then I'll say, well, okay, then what I heard this time is blah, blah, blah. And you'll say, yeah, that's right. You got it. Then I can respond. But until you sign off on my understanding, then we're not going to move forward because Otherwise, I'm sitting here filtering what you're saying through my listening filters, my prejudices, and preconceived ideas. Now, this is 
so very, very, very important in our long-term relationships, in our family relationships, in our relationships with long-term employees. But let's just use family because of the family business connection. As I said, family relationships are always primary to business relationships in a family business. So we knew each other growing up. So it's very easy for us to say when somebody begins talking, I know what he's going to say. He's always been the, you know, this way, or he's always been that way, or I know what his opinion is before he even says it. Well, that's not fair to the other person. So we need to put a pause button onto our response until that other person says, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now, this sounds really simple, doesn't it? Really sounds like, well, that's, well, of course you could do that. That's very easy to do. But I have found over the years in working with families and business together, when I put them through exercises where they really have to listen in order to create understanding with each other. It breaks down very, very quickly, and they don't even recognize or realize what's happening. It sounds simple, but it is not. Suspending our biases and our preconceived notions and actually listening to the other person, listening with both ears and with our heart so we can understand what they're saying is not a natural skill that we have that we develop over time but we can develop it and it's a very very critical and important piece of that relationship capability communicating for the purpose of creating understanding now the third important skill is the ability to effectively address and solve problems now let me just reiterate we've got three tools in our toolbox of relationship capability the first one is the ability to manage change because of the inevitability of change in our relationships and how that change impacts and alters our expectations and thus erodes our commitment the second is the ability to manage our communication so that we're really communicating for the purpose of creating understanding and now the third is the ability to address and solve problems businesses corporations they all have Typically, some problem-solving methodology or process that they go through. And unless in our relationships we're intentional about it, our problem-solving ability usually falls into two traps. One of those traps is avoiding a decision. And the second trap is making a false decision. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Problem-solving, or in a sense, a problem, always starts with a situation about which a decision has to be made. In other words... Something is going on, a change has taken place, something has happened, and we need to make a decision. You and me, we need to make a decision about something. That is the root of a problem. And when that decision that we need to make goes on and we avoid it, it compounds. And so we'll say, well, you know, we really should sit down and talk about something X, Y, Z. And you agree. Yeah, Ed, that's right. We need to talk about that. Uh, And then nobody does anything about it. And then we come back to it a week later, And we say the same, well, we really have to talk about this. Yeah, we need to talk about this, but nobody steps up to do anything about it. So what happens is that people get caught up in a faulty decision-making so that compounds and petrifies into a real problem. They're not willing to step up and participate in that decision-making. And so that's what I call we get trapped in false agreement because then we don't really have a decision and the problem continues to increase and get worse over time and becomes a source of tension and disagreement and conflict between us. One example of this is of false agreement is what's called group think. And I know this, this is something that you feel very strongly about, Billy. In an organization, a strong leader or the dominant members of a group, they put forth an idea with great conviction and with uh, compelling arguments. And the others who tend to take a more passive role, 
they can be lulled into thinking that, well, the outcome is inevitable. There's not much I'm going to be able to say about this. I don't really have any, any uh, influence on this. And so they fail to do their part to question and contribute in that process of decision-making and problem-solving. Why is this a problem? Well, it becomes a problem when it comes time to implement whatever the decision is that's made because you realize then that people were nodding their heads up and down, but inside they were shaking their heads from side to side saying, I'm going to say I agree to it, but I really don't. And so people are not fully committed and they begin to fall off of the, the wagon, so to speak, when it comes time to implement that. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in the third podcast. Okay, so that's the first column uh, of our relationship structure, if you will, on top of the foundation. Change management, ability to communicate for creating understanding. The third is the ability to solve problems. Now, let's turn to the other column, the other support column that supports and holds up our relationships. And we call this relationship character. Again, relationship character is like the personality for an individual. Relationship character is what forms over time in terms of how we as a group operate and interact with each other. Every significant relationship we have in our life, whether it's with one person, one other person, or with a group, has its own personality, its own character. Every marriage, every family, every social group we're part of is different. In one group, we can have individuals who are capable, successful, likable people, and they have a very strong relationship developed, and they, they can solve problems, they can resolve their differences, and enjoy being together. But there's another, an, an another group that we may be part of with equally strong, capable, good, competent people, but in that relationship, my goodness, we can't get anything done. Every time we get together, uh, have a conversation, it's stressful, it's tense, it's argumentative, it's depressing. And what's the difference here? Why is that different? I like to say that in-laws see this early on in their relationship where I come out of my family of origin and we have a character, a personality, our relationship character. We have a certain style as a family and we're all good, competent, successful, capable people. And we're all likable as individuals. So I meet this person that I want to have, uh, I have a romantic interest in. And I, uh, maybe I want to spend the rest of my life with that person. So I meet some of their, her family members over time. I meet, you know, her brother and her mom and her dad. I don't meet them in a whole group. Maybe Uncle Joe. And boy, they're nice people. I, I like these people. You know, we, I had lunch. She and I had lunch with her mom. And it was a really nice conversation. So I go to the first family gathering. Oh, my goodness. It was chaos. I mean, when the family got together, it's like, wow, these, are these the same people? They're arguing with each other. They're avoiding each other or whatever. It doesn't have to do with the individuals. It has to do with the way they have learned to interact with each other. Now, you're familiar with the old saying that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? Well, what does this mean? Well, this means that the way in which the parts interact actually creates a new reality that you couldn't predict by just looking at the parts individually. Let me use an example. You take a piece of wood, let's say it's a one inch thick piece of uh, pine wood uh, that's a couple of feet long and you stretch it between a couple of tables and you start putting weight in the middle of it. And eventually you're going to put enough weight on that piece of wood that it will break, right? Now you take two identical pieces of wood and both of which would break at a certain weight. 
you put them together, you laminate them together, you put them exactly in the same place, you start adding weight. Now, can you put exactly twice as much weight on those two pieces of wood? No, you can put more weight on those two pieces of wood because the combined strength of those pieces of wood together is more than the sum of their individ- the individual strength of those two pieces of wood. Simple example, but it happens all the time. It's very common that the whole is more than the sum of the parts. So in the case of our significant relationships, it has to do with, with something very interesting. How do we wind up with this whole being more than the sum of the parts? Well, it has to do with how we resolve in our relationships the three basic relationship dilemmas. In every relationship, we, over time, as we get to know each other, we work together, we live together, whatever, we will resolve these three basic functions of a relationship. One of them is trust, mistrust. The second one, the second relationship dilemma is optimism and pessimism. And the third is respect and disrespect. In all our significant relationships, we will, over time, through our interactions, become more or less trusting, more or less optimistic, and more or less respectful. And again, I'd like you to think about two different groups that you're part of and how both of these groups that you're part of have people in them that you look up to, that you respect individually, you can talk to individually, and they're competent, capable, talented people. However, one of these groups you look forward to being with, the other group you avoid like the plague. You find great satisfaction in being together in one situation, frustration in the other. And again, the objective view will confirm that people in both groups are very similar in their individual personalities. But when they get together, a group character emerges because of how they have resolved trust, optimism, and respect dilemmas. And just, again, think about how important this is in a family business. In a family business, if we have mistrust, disrespect, and pessimism, it's going to affect the business in a very, very powerful way. On the other hand, if we have trust and respect and optimism, that's going to provide the the basis for success in business. Now, here's what's really interesting. I want to tie this together, Billy. I want to combine how the relationship capability and relationship character interact with each other. It's very interesting how closely they are allied, trust and respect and optimism, how closely they're allied to the tools of relationship capability. Now, here it is. Trust is, first and foremost, is fundamental to all relationships. I think we'd agree with that, right? I mean, without trust, we cover our tracks, we hedge our bets, we engage with great caution and hesitancy. And because trust is basically a measure of how much we can rely on each other. And it's directly related to how we communicate. Let me explain that. If we communicate for the purpose of creating understanding, we build trust. If we communicate for the purpose of responding or reloading out of our prejudices and biases, we destroy trust. In other words, you and I are having a conversation. You're telling me something that's important to you. If you know that I'm listening because I really want to understand what you're telling me. Not, I may not agree with you, but I'm going to make, do my absolute best to set aside, put pause button on my biases and prejudices and my preconceived notions so that I can really try to understand what you're saying. How is that going to impact your trust in the relationship? It's going to increase the trust. However, if you're talking to me and you can see in my eyes, Ed is not really listening. He's preparing his counter-argument. He's getting ready to 
Give me his response that is going to destroy trust in our relationship. So communicating for the purpose of understanding is vital and critical to building trust in our relationship. And as we know, trust is one of the three core elements of relationship character. Now, just like trust, optimism is a vital ingredient in our significant relationships. Optimism is basically a measure of what we can expect of each other. Okay, can we uh, reasonably expect good things when we get together? Or do we expect things to go bad and we can't get anything done? Well, optimism being our expectations of each other is directly related to our ability to manage change as we discussed above. It probably is clear to you at this point, but if we can't manage our expectations, if we don't actively renegotiate our expectations and talk about them and say, okay, changes have happened between us, How has that impacted our expectations of each other? And we start operating with altered, out-of-date expectations, which means we're operating with a commitment that's growing increasingly weak over time. Then we're going to develop a much more pessimistic view in our relationship, where the expectations are unclear, confusing, and inconsistent. Yeah, I don't know what I can count on you for anymore. And so as a result of that, we become pessimistic, about our relationship because every time we interact with each other, I just don't really feel like we're 100% there for each other. And that leads to pessimism. Now, this the third final ingredient in our relationships is respect. Respect is a critical element because it's basically a measure of how much we value and regard each other. It's, respect is directly and closely related to how effective we are at solving problems that affect us, building strength uh, together out of our problem-solving ability. You know, when we constantly are avoiding dealing with problems, when our problems always result in a conflict or an eruption between us that can escalate in a nanosecond, uh, we keep circling back to the same problems over and over again. We become adversarial with each other. We become uh, oppositional to each other. Even if it started out as a right versus right decision, our respect for each other, our respect for our ability to do things well together as a couple or as a family or as a business, that they begin to erode. Re- remember how we, we talked about this right versus right thing? I just want to circle back to that a minute. When we have equally valid but differing points of view about how to deal with something, We need to sit down and talk about our expectations around that. When we can't compromise and reach a solution, we will increasingly justify our own position by finding more and more evidence that the other person is wrong and we are right. And this destroys respect. It builds disrespect. So here we have the three tools of relationship capability. And that is the ability to manage change, the ability to communicate for the purpose of creating understanding, and the ability to solve problems. Very, very basic things. Those are the basic tools that we need in our toolbox because they directly affect how we resolve our three relationship dilemmas of trust and mistrust, of optimism and pessimism, and respect and disrespect. We always want to be resolving those in the direction of the positive side, trusting, respecting, and optimism. That's what we talked about in this podcast. We're beginning to build that house. And the next time when we get together, we're going to talk about actual owner's manual for relationships. We're going to take all of this information and we're going to build on that so that we have a have actual flow chart for how this all works out. Thank you, Ed, for sharing your time and expertise with us. We've been visiting with family business and relationship management expert, Dr. Ed Hoover 
about the two pillars of strong relationships. These include relationship capability, how prepared we are with the skills needed for successful communication, navigating change and solving problems, and relationship character, or the personality of the relationship that involves trust, optimism, and respect. Be sure to join us next time for part three of our relationship series. We'll be talking with Dr. Hoover about creating sustainable, healthy relationships. Thank you for joining in Discovery with Babbitt Ranches, a monthly podcast exploring all things cowboy essence in land stewardship, conservation, science, agriculture, recreation, business, and community. I'd like to again acknowledge NFP Flagstaff, also known as McCullough Insurance, a family business serving Northern Arizona for 100 years. Through our efforts of learning and understanding, Babbitt Ranches, a family business and pioneering land company, raises livestock, manages natural resources, promotes science, and participates in the broader community in order to join, share, and do the very best we know how. I'm Billy Cordasco.